If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one of those. Um, If you need to borrow it, you can borrow it. If you need a Bible that you can keep and read, feel free to do that. Uh, If you are a user of the Bible app, uh, you can uh, find our live event right now and uh, track along with the notes and uh, the text. So last week, we talked about how Jesus fed 5,000 men, about 20,000 total people, pretty incredible, um, that, that he did this, unbelievable. And we're picking up in, the, in the, uh, the second half of that story, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side uh, while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by that time, the boat, uh, excuse me, the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's the dead middle of the night, folks, fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Not alongside the sea, mind you, on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me uh, to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Uh, We've been talking for a couple of weeks now about how Jesus reigns over everything. Last week we talked about how Jesus reigns over our insufficiency. Grateful for that, because none of us are sufficient to the tasks that are in front of us. Yes? Yes, that is true. Um, Today, I want to talk about how Jesus reigns over surprises that come our way in life. Anybody been surprised over the past four or so weeks about me? Surprises just happen to us. These are things that we don't plan. These are things that we don't embrace. These are things that we're not excited about necessarily, but surprises. Some people love surprises. Some people like, I need everything planned out down to the last moment. Um, Either way, Jesus thankfully, sovereignly, and very sweetly reigns over surprises that happen to us. And this story has a couple of them I just want to highlight. Number one, uh, Jesus, uh, we, we sometimes are surprised by God's presence. We're surprised by God's presence. What does that mean? Well, um, he, he shows up where we don't expect him to. We're surprised when he shows up where we don't expect him to. And I'll just give you, a, so um, back, back here in verse 22, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. So where was the last time the disciples saw Jesus in this moment? In this little particular part, where was the last time? He was dismissing crowds. They were getting in a boat, rowing out, rowing out. They see Jesus. And then in verse 24, excuse me, 23, he goes up on the mountain to pray. So at the very least, they're rowing. They see Jesus going up on the mountain to spend some time with God. And they're rowing. And this is the last time they see him. The storm comes up. They're wearing themselves out. It's the dead middle of the night. So all of their emotions are beyond frayed, right? And what happens? Jesus shows up. He shows up 
where we don't expect him. If you're a disciple in the boat, middle of the night, dead tired, emotions just gone crazy, you, you might expect to find him on the other side of the sea when you get there. You might expect him to show up a couple of days later because he walked instead of rowing. You do not expect him to be taking a stroll out on the water with you. He shows up where um, he is not expected. Um, in the middle, uh, here's the thing. Some people say, hey, and maybe you'd be tempted towards this. I bet the disciples were tempted toward this. Hey, Jesus, you just like did this monster miracle. 5,000 men you fed with a couple of uh, fish and five loaves of bread. You sent us out rowing. Didn't you know that there was a storm coming? And what would the answer be? Yes, he knew that there was a storm coming, and yet he still sent them out. Let that sit. That's called a dramatic pause right there. He knew there was a storm coming, and still he sent them out. That doesn't apply to anybody in here, right? And some people may say in that moment, hey, if there was a storm coming, why did you send us out? Whatever his reasons are, we may be thinking this question. Hey, you sent us into this hardship. Where are you in the middle of this, and what's the answer? in the middle of the storm, just alongside. He shows up where we do not expect him. Some of you are facing things right now where you're rowing and rowing and rowing and wearing yourself out and your emotions are afraid and you're going, okay, God, I know you got me here, but I have no idea where you are in the middle of this. Guess what? He shows up where you do not expect him. I think in the Western um, uh, civilization, certainly, uh, we take kind of comfort and ease as a particular value, a high value, um, but in, in, in the biblical worldview and in, in the, uh, the worldview of people who follow Jesus, even today, no matter if we're in the West or not, we live, uh, the temptation is to live with this same cultural fallacy that it's easier to see God when life is easy. easy to see, it's easier to see God when life is easy. But you look at what the Bible says and you look at church history and guess what? Sometimes the place where we see God most clearly is in the middle of the storm. It's in the middle of the hardship. It's in the middle of the, the um, tough things. He shows up where we don't expect. And secondly, I love this, that he shows up in ways that we don't expect. He, does, he never acts out of character for him. His character always guides his actions, but he's also never bound to repeat it. But this is the great thing. Um, if they expected Jesus to show up anywhere, in any way, not on the list was walking on the water. Anybody with me on that? Nobody was expecting him to take a stroll on the Sea of Galilee. Nobody was. And so when he shows up in ways we don't expect, this kind of crazy stuff happens in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And what they say? Oh, look, it's Jesus walking on the sea. He's done a miracle once. Surely he can do this miracle again. Is that what they said? What they say? It's a ghost. Sometimes when God shows up in ways that we don't expect, it's easy for us to mistake him for something else. Now, if you're not formed and shaped by the church and shaped by the Bible, it could be luck, it could be fate, it could be the universe, it could be the stars aligning, it could be uh, um, uh, karma, it could be um, any number of things. It could be uh, a ghost is what it could be. If you are shaped by the Bible and you are shaped by the church, in faith, 
I think, I think this is the most popular way when, when, uh, when he surprises us showing up in ways we don't expect. It goes something like this. Um, well, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I, I guess my obedience brought him here in that way. As if the disciples in the boat were so awesome that Jesus just decided to take us. Listen, let's be clear about that. Nothing in you, nothing in me warrants how God moves. When he shows up in ways we don't expect, it's not about us. Who is it about? Somebody say it out loud. Who is it about? It's about him. That's all right. It's about him because he's trying to show them something about who he is. Um, when you have fish and loaves that get multiplied just a few verses earlier in the miracle of, uh, of feeding all of those thousands of people, I mean, it shows that Jesus is the master of all things material. But in their minds, listen, in their minds, you still had this vast, mysterious thing. They feared the water. They feared the deep, right? This was one of the places that uh, they were scared to engage. And so they had all these things that surrounded this fear. And Jesus now is the, he is the master of the sea. Why? Because he turns what is liquid into something solid so that he can take a walk. They're, what he's doing when he shows up where we don't expect and showing up in ways we don't expect, he is revealing himself so that you and I get a clearer picture of who he is. That's what he's doing. So at the very end, of, at the end of this story in verse uh, uh, 33, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. He's solidifying in their mind who they suspect him to be. He's revealing himself so that they have faith. So surprised by God's presence, where he shows up and how he shows up. Secondly, Jesus reigns over surprises um, that happen in our life, and when he does so, part of um, uh, the surprise that can jump out is we are surprised by what he says. We are surprised by God's word. We, sometimes we do. We get surprised. Two very shocking things, and again, I'm trying to paint myself into, the, I'm trying to write myself into this story. This is one of the things that are really surprising. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Can we just pause for a second? If I'm in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the night, in a storm, and I've been rowing, and my emotions, my body's tired, and my emotions are afraid, and somebody rolls up on me and says, I mean, quite literally walks up and says, hey, it's me, don't be afraid. I'm thinking, that is not what I was expecting you to say. Anybody with me on that? Here's the best part for me. Again, because he's revealing himself. Take heart. It is I. That phrase in the Greek, it would go like this. Take heart. I am. I am. Is that ringing any bells for anybody? That's how God revealed himself in the Old Testament? It's the people, I am, is what he would say. Take heart. I am. Don't be afraid. But it's still surprising. Still surprising, surprised by God's word. Here's the second one, um, a little bit further down, verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Peter, don't be a knucklehead. Only I can walk on the water. I mean, come on, stay in the boat. I'm coming, settle down, tell John to be okay, tell James not to call, like just settle everybody. I'm coming. That's what he said, right? What did he say? Come on. Once again, proving, be very careful what you ask for. 
Be very careful what you ask for, because you, you just might be surprised by what God's answer is. And so in my mind, this is the way this goes. Peter is like, uh, if it's you, send me. And he's like, come on. Uh, well, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound here. So he throws his legs over the boat, right, rocking back and forth because the wind's still blowing. And he goes to jump off the side of the boat, expecting, in my mind, you tell me if I'm wrong here, in my mind, expecting to go down into the water, swim over to Jesus and be like, I don't know what's going on, but being with you is better than being in that boat. I'll stick with you. I'm, I'm going to swim over to get you. So he jumps off expecting to sink, and instead he finds something solid. Ooh. Take a step. Ooh. He's surprised. He's surprised. As I've thought about us as a church, um, especially, not uniquely, but especially over the past four weeks. Um, by the way, four weeks tomorrow. We put evacuated people in our building four weeks tomorrow. Hard at it. As I, th- as I thought about our church, I, mean, I thought about some of the ways that God has responded to us where we've been surprised. These are some of the things, and you see if you personally identify with any of these. Number one, um, sometimes we've asked and God has said yes. And that's been a surprise. Some of it's very pleasant. <laughs> like, we need to, you heard, I mean, you've heard multiple things. If you haven't, go down by the office hallway, um, and there's all sorts of God stories placed up. So some of them are what we call manna stories, where we needed something and God provided. We prayed for plastic forks to feed people, and off the, off the trailer comes plastic forks, just because God's just, he's just that good, right? And so, um, sometimes he said yes, and again, that is very pleasant. Sometimes he said yes, and it's terrifying. Not unlike, if it's you, come to me. All right, come on. Dang it, I should have asked for something else, like a bigger boat. Like I should have asked for a bigger boat. And I think some of the things that he said yes to for us as a church, like phase two ministry. It's terrifying. I was in a meeting with pastors uh, Monday, Wednesday, whatever day it was. It was some day this week. Um, two politicians showed up, by the way. I will not name them. They talk more than pastors do. I just want to go on record <laughs> and say that. One for the pastors. Um, and... Uh, we were kind of outlining what our church's phase two response was. And some cat looks at me and he goes, how in the world are you going to pay for all that? You know what I said? I I have no idea. I really don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I think we're supposed to move forward in this. And so we'll just move forward and either the resources run out or God will give us direction or something pretty awesome is going to happen. We're not sure which. But we're just going to move. We just we sense God saying yes to this, so this is what we're going to try to do. Well, I really don't have any great answers. I just know that this is what I think we're supposed to do. Sometimes God says yes, and we're like, "Thank you, God." And sometimes God says yes, and we're like, "Ooh." He also says no sometimes. And there have been times over the past four weeks, again, as a church, and again, you apply this to you personally, where we've prayed and God has said no. And uh, can, if, if I'm honest with myself, uh, it, it is disappointing 
and infuriating. I don't particularly get angry with God in that moment. I get angry, so it's, it would go like this. Hey, God, we really need da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, look, there's a person who has that. And so we're like, okay, God, thank you. We go ask, and they say no, and we're like, <clears throat> The anger gets directed that way. But here's the thing. Our disappointment and, and that frustration that comes along with that, listen, it, it, when God says no, you apply this personally, please. When God says no, we often see the wisdom of that no later. Takes a little while, but we see the wisdom of his no answer later. One of the things that's very frustrating to, to hear God respond with when we're surprised is wait. Wait. Uh, we have had to multiple times. Uh, I don't doubt that in the phase two ministry that's coming, uh, there will be other waiting moments where it's frustrating. But here's the gift. Here's the gift of when God says wait. It reveals to you and to me this. Do I want God for God, or do I want him only for what he can give me? Wait. The last one is the one he says most often, and it's the one that we, it's most often in the scriptures, it's most often uh, in, I think, in our uh, experience as a church family, again, not exclusively, but uniquely over these past four weeks, is simply this, follow, just follow. Okay, God, where are we going? Just follow. Abraham. Come out of Ur. I'm going to show you somewhere. Where are we going? Just follow. Hey, Moses, get out of the wilderness. Get out of the wilderness. Time to rescue some folks from Egypt. How am I going to do that? Just follow. Hey, Israelites, come out of Egypt. Guess what we're going to do? What? Go for a walk. Where are we going? Just follow. Right? I mean, over and over and over again. And how did Jesus call his disciples? What did he say to them? Follow me. Follow me. This is what he says over and over again, follow. And so when we say that, what I'm saying is there's courage that is needed when he says follow, when he says there's a phase two, when he says, hey, I want you to step back into this relationship, or when he says, hey, I want you to uh, uh, live in this particular way with this kind of integrity, even though everybody else around is going to probably get ahead. When he says any number of things, when he says when he says follow, there's courage that is needed. Here's the thing, though. It's not just courage that's needed. It's also expected obedience. He expects obedience from you and from me. When he said to Peter, well, come on, that wasn't really a question mark, was it? It was just, oh, you want to come? Great. Let's go. The, the temptation at that point is to think, oh, okay. When I'm surprised by God's word, we can sometimes forget that when God commands us to do something, it's always for our joy. Always. Always for our joy. Um, there's a, a verse in 1 John chapter 5, it's verse 4. It says, this is the love of God that we obey his commandments. And then he says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know what that means? Some of us feel like, oh, okay, we're going to obey God. We're going to put on the change, heavy cloak. And walk. That's not how this goes. The commandments of God are not burdensome. Furthermore, uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, he says, this is how you'll know if you're my disciples, if you abide in my word. And when you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. And what happens when the truth comes into somebody's life? The truth does what? It sets people free. That's what happens. So it's not only that Jesus is not putting chains on you, he's actually breaking chains off of you, and how is he doing that? By giving you commands to follow. He's after your joy. It is hard to believe sometimes, but here's the key question. Will I continue to trust him? Will I continue to be faithful to him as he's been faithful to me? We're surprised by God's word. Lastly, um, we're, we're surprised in our failure. 
So in verse 30, Peter gets out of 20, in verse 29, Peter gets out of the boat, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus waited till he was about six feet under, and then finally reached down and grabbed, what, no, what's it say? Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you have little faith, why'd you doubt? And when they, they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Surprise in our failure. Um, I will notice. I will uh, uh, note this, even as I kind of make this first bullet. Jesus is never frustrated with our inability, with with our uh, lack of capacity to do it. Right? I mean, this is what we talked about last week. He is not anticipating our sufficiency. He only is asking for our availability. So he's never frustrated that we are incapable. He wasn't mad about Peter sinking. Like that wasn't the thing. Like he knows that Peter cannot walk on the water. Everybody gets that, right? Everybody gets that. Um, but Peter was out walking on the water. I mean, there you go, right? He was the only one who experienced this. So as we follow and we figure out that we're incapable, that part does not frustrate Jesus. The part, um, I say that because some of you are in here and you're like, oh, golly, if I really try that and fail, man, I'm sure God's going to get like that the hammer of Thor, you know, and just uh, go to work on me. And, and, and he's not frustrated with your inability. He's not. He only asks for your availability. That's what he asks for. The thing that he can get frustrated with is our distraction. So what did Peter do? He started looking at the waves, it says. Um, when Peter saw the wind and the waves that were kicked up as a result of that, when Peter saw this, he was afraid. He began to sink. So this frustration of Jesus can happen, and thus he responds, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Where did the doubt of Peter come from? It came from looking um, at the wind and the waves instead of at Jesus. It came from distraction. Anybody have any distractions lately that may have taken their eyes off of Jesus, anybody with me? I mean, it can be as small as a phone in your pocket or as big as eight feet of sheetrock missing in your house. And I think he looks at you and me and he says, hey, listen, you little faith, don't doubt, don't doubt. Here's the great thing, though. This is the part that I just want to celebrate. The response of Jesus to both our inability to do this as well as the distraction that caused our sinking. The of Jesus to both is the exact same thing. What did he do? He reached out to us like he reached out to Peter. He reached out to us. This is the dumbest story. Can I tell you this story? Dead in the middle of Harvey, the rain is still coming down. I get a Facebook message, and the Facebook message is from somebody that I, I, I don't know. We're friends on Facebook, but we're not friends. You, know, you have people like that, right? I'm like, I don't know who this is. She said, hey, didn't you play tennis in high school? And I was like, you better back up. What are you, what's going on, stalker? And, and I said, I said, yes. And she sent me this picture. She said, this is the craziest story. I said, well, it's raining sideways, 52 inches of rain. Go ahead. Yeah, top that. <laughs> Noah just came by, looking for the last couple of animals. Like, 
Go ahead, give it to me. The house that I grew up in, in Huntsville, the owner, but when it was raining, had driven off of the driveway and put a small rut in the yard. He opened his door, had something had fallen out. He reached down to pick that something up, and when he did so, my high school class ring was in that rut. My mom has not, my mom moved out 21 years ago, and I have not thought about that high school class ring in a lot longer than that. I mean, I just didn't. didn't. And so he knew somebody who graduated from the high school who knew somebody who knew this person that I was friends with on Facebook. And so in the middle of Harvey, I get a picture saying, hey, I think this is your class ring. I said, well, there's no other people that were in my class named Trent, and nobody else played tennis named Trent. I guess that's me. Dumbest thing ever. It was the craziest thing. And so I'm thinking about this last night. Uh, our our uh, oldest daughter, she's been running around with it. And, you know, it's been so cute. Uh, she's been running around. With it, and I was thinking about this last night. As I'm thinking about it, this is what I thought. I have not looked for it. I have not worried about it. I have not cared about it. It just showed up. Seems like God said, hey, listen, I can find you. I can find you. You're sinking in the sea. I can find you. In the middle of a hurricane, I can find you. Buried in a yard 20-something years later, I can find you. I can find you. I say that to some of you to say this. I say that to all of you, actually, to say this. Some of you feel like it's been too long. I'm too far gone. It's too deep around here. There's too much other stuff going on. I'm not sure I even know what I believe. I've never heard this before. Surely this can't be actually true. Is there a way... Um, for, for I wasn't even looking for God. Is there a way that he could actually find me? Don't I need to do something first? Like, I could go through 15 others. And what I want to say to you this morning is, God can find you. If you're sinking, he can find you. If you're in the storm, he can find you. If you're buried deep, he can find you. If it's been a long time, he can find you. If you've never, ever even thought about it before, there's a reason you're here this morning. He can find you. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 says this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. You're not so far away that God can't reach down to you and grab you too. You're not so far away that when you call out, God can hear. Jesus proved this most when he died on the cross for you and for me. He took our sins and the, the things that we done to we have done to offend God. And he paid for those sins and he died as that payment. And then he rose again to give life and freedom to everybody who puts their trust in him. Nobody is beyond the pale. Nobody is disqualified. 
Folks, you're here this morning because he can find you. If you need um, some of that to sit down into your life and really get down there, um, we're going to pray for you. And uh, certainly if you want to respond by, we've got some uh, kneelers up here. You can do some business with God. There'll be some folks at the back be happy to pray with you. We would love to have a conversation with you if you're here this morning and you don't know what it means to follow Jesus. We'd love to have a conversation about becoming a Christian. I'm going to pray right now and then we'll sing one more song. I'm grateful, Father, for a few minutes here. Thank you for your word and thank you that you can find us. No matter where we are right now, no matter where we started, no matter what our backstory is, no matter the baggage that we're toting around, God, you can find us. I'm grateful for that. Now, for anyone and everyone here who needs to experience that, who needs to have that, God, I pray that you would work it down into them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I would just plead with you. This is the moment. Today can be the day that God's hand can reach down and save you like it did Peter. Today can be the day that you call out to him and he hears you and he forgives your sins and gives you life and freedom. If you want to talk about that, meet me at the back back there, right by that little kid. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Father, continue to work as you choose to. Thank you that you reign over everything. Our lives are in your hands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.